0: We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present.
1: Hello, Hello yummy, yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jane Caldwell and Sophie Pearce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums mums-to-be and women in general. And gents,
0: feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen.
1: Now we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we we go.
2: go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and all our bumpies listening. This is not a 1-300, how are you, call me later. (laughs) This is actually still beyond the bump. I just have
0: lost my voice. If you can't tell by Jade, we're falling apart. She's lost her voice. I have, for some reason, her recording gear at my (laughs) house. So she's doing a mobile phone Zoom call in for this intro. (laughs) December is Decembering. We're okay. It's all fine. When we actually recorded this episode, Jade was well. She was in front of an actual microphone, so yes, professional. <laughs> so we promise you don't have to put up with this for too long, and we don't want to delay because this episode this week is so incredible, so inspirational, and really moving. So you know we don't want we don't want to delay it too much, and we don't want you to have to <laughs> listen to old Selma and Patty over there. <laughs> With their pack-a-day voice off,
2: babe. So gross. So sorry. Would you like to give us a rundown of your week or? Sure. I'll give you a quick one because no one wants to hear my voice and I don't really want to speak as much as I am already. So last week, great week, went to Fiji, had a great time, came back, got a cold, was supposed to go on a flight the next day with Sophie, Goldie, Yumi and Mimi and Shimmy, our mums, and had a whole day at the airport just waiting for planes we never got on so that yeah, was a whole day that we did and yeah it was it was actually quite a success we all had a nice time but yeah it was Yeah, we didn't get to Melbourne, so it was a fun day out. (laughs) Let's be
0: honest, we spent the day at Gold Coast Airport. It was quite a fun day out. The kids loved it; they loved Uh, it. We had some wines. We, you know, it was quite a fun day. It just didn't really have the outcome or the result we were hoping for, which was to get onto a plane and arrive at a different destination. Didn't happen. We we headed to the airport in the morning, and quite late at night, we headed back (laughs) home from said airport. But it was, I mean, like, I do think that at least with you and I, we do like to make fun out of any situation and spending the day at an airport with our mums and our kids. um, (laughs) We managed to have a fun time. That we did. How was your week? My week has been good. I do want to say it's interesting that you've got laryngitis Mm. because my entire household is home sick today. Mm. And... It's just interesting because it's summer and I think that this summer so far has been winter 2.0. The weather's stunning. The health is not. And yeah, it's just, I just thought that we were past this, but we're not. (laughs) And, and yeah, but I mean, I'm, you know, whenever we have a more serious topic, I'm obviously a bit more conscious of what we say in these intros, because obviously my kids having a bit of a cold, you having laryngitis, it's nothing interesting. In comparison to what we discuss mm. in this week's episode. And given your voice, our connection and, you know, how incredibly inspiring and amazing I think today's episode is, we're going to keep this week's intro short and sweet and I reckon just launch into things. Absolutely.
2: No, this episode, listening back, I had goosebumps from head to toe. It was... Like it was one thing just to listen to it in real life, but then to re really listen back to that story, I just can't even, one, I can't even comprehend what she's gone through. But also I'm just so, so proud and inspired that someone has Taken on what she has for other people to be able to set something up so other people don't have to go through what she has. And I just think that is commendable.
0: Yeah. So we chatted to Rachel and we chatted all about child loss, you know, her finding out her daughter, Mackenzie's diagnosis, and then the subsequent loss of her daughter and then we chatted all about genetic carrier screen testing and what is now happening with Mackenzie's mission which I agree with you Jade is so inspiring. So I just think we get things started Mm. and let Rachel tell her story because it was honestly such a privilege to you know be a part of her sharing her story and Mackenzie's story. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bub today. It's such an honour to help you continue to share your story. Before we get started, for those who haven't come across you before or come across Mackenzie's mission before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and
3: I guess what we're going to be chatting about today? Sure. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. I'm trying to play it cool and not fangirl over you guys because (laughs) I'm a bumpy. so I listen every week. Yeah, so my name is Rachel Casella. I am very happily better known as Mackenzie's mum, which is a total honour. So, about me, I live in Sydney. My husband is Jonathan or Johnny. During the day, we're both police officers on the side. I also have a part time job being an ambassador for a genetics company called Lumi. I'm an investigator on my daughter's legacy, Mackenzie's mission. And I've got, well, I've got three children that I've birthed. It's very complicated how many children I guess I have, um, but I've got two in my arms. So I've got Mackenzie, who was my firstborn, Isaac and Joshua. So Mackenzie would be six years old. Isaac is two and a half and Joshua is 11 months.
2: Now, Rachel, can you
1: take us back to pre-parenthood? Had you ever had anyone around you with a genetic disorder or even understood what this meant? Nothing.
3: Nothing. I mean, I knew a little bit about genetics because my degree at uni was psychology and we had to do a intro to biology. And so I knew a little bit, but I certainly had no idea how it impacted on children. I didn't Mm. know that it was something that you could learn your risk of before you got pregnant. And so it really the first time that I was impacted or heard about it was when my daughter Mackenzie was being diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy, which is a genetic condition that is terminal. Wow. And
0: we will get into that. But in terms of the conception and the pregnancy itself, was that pretty smooth sailing? Were you ever considered high risk or you know, under investigation for any complications or anything like that? Yeah, I hate to say
3: it too, HD mamas but I had an amazing pregnancy loved being pregnant I think we'll give Uh, you that that's okay we (laughs) will not hold it against you (laughs) Um, absolutely loved pregnancy not high risk at all Uh, for Mackenzie I went through public uh, Royal Hospital for Women through uh, the midwifery group practice and everything was just normal my birth was it was long it was I said before it was 40 hours it was two hours of pushing and then an emergency c-section after all that so that wasn't ideal but that was just the way that she had to come into the world so yeah it was all pretty standard. And what led to looking
0: into a diagnosis or when did you start to think maybe Mm. you know Mackenzie did have a condition?
3: We never thought it it was identified to us by a lactation consultant that she wasn't moving the way that she should be. Um, and that was when she was ten weeks old. So that was just at a sort of standard lactation consultant appointment. And within 48 hours of that, we were being told that she had SMA. So it was just when people talk about the rug being pulled out from underneath you or your world crashing down, it's just it went from perfect bliss bubble to wanting the world to stop
1: for me, for everyone. Can you talk us through that period of time when you found out that information? How did your brain spiral from there? After the lactation consultant said something, I remember
3: very quickly running out of The appointment getting into the car driving out of the hospital car park until I was maybe one suburb away and pulling over and just hyperventilating and crying and calling Johnny and I remember him he's very let's not worry about something until there's something Mm. to worry about so he's like let's just go to a doctor and went to the closest medical center because we had just moved so I didn't have a doctor in the area went to the medical center I still so clearly remember sitting in the waiting room with all these people coughing around me and me just trying to protect my new baby in my arms from all these like colds and clues and got into the appointment and very quickly the GP said we need to see a pediatrician, ASAP. I walked out of the clinic and tried to call every pediatrician that I could find and all of them were saying that they couldn't see me for a month or two. And I just started crying hysterically until someone felt bad for me. We got into one two days later and I just remember sitting at home for two days and we just kept attacking ourselves, telling us that it was our fault because we weren't doing tummy time and that's why she wasn't strong enough.
1: So at that first um, lactation consultant meeting, in those two days that you had to wait for another appointment to find out more information, did you even think that this was going to be terminal or? not? not at all. It, wasn't, it didn't even
3: cross my mind. I thought that it was I don't know what I thought. I Googled, but there's so many conditions that have, you know, floppy baby or lacking muscle tone. Like, there's so many conditions. So the idea of terminal just didn't even cross my mind.
0: And then what happened when you saw the pediatrician? Did they agree straight away, yes, this is something we need to look into? Like, was it obvious to them? Like I said, it wasn't obvious to
3: us. We were first time parents, so we just couldn't see the. I Mm. guess the intensity of the situation. And so we went to see the pediatrician and I just remember shaking as we were walking into the room. And he put Kenzie up on the bed and stripped her down to her nappy. And I feel like it was maybe four or five minutes of checks. And then he turned around and said, I think she's got spinal muscular atrophy. And by the way, it's terminal. There was no softening of that for us oh my goodness and could any part of you believe him I I don't know you that feeling when you're just about to pass out where you go really hot and Mm. you start shaking and everything's dizzy and the noise in the room goes really high pitched that's what happened to me for about five minutes while Johnny tried to like almost argue with him like not argue about the diagnosis but okay what do we do what's the plan like he went into full police mode and was sort of like questioning of what we could do and um, we were just trying to sort of find our way out of what was just told to us it was not a good appointment when I finally sort of came to and I started trying to ask questions he said calm down missy And then we were sort of sent out of his office pretty quickly saying someone would be in touch with us and we were charged a really high fee. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, So did you promptly go see somebody else? So there were arrangements made for us to see a neurologist, a specialist from Sydney Children's Hospital Mm. the next day upon speaking to her what should have happened is that they should have called her straight away and she would have come up and taken us downstairs and not left us oh with gosh. a night of not knowing what was going to happen. Calm down, Missy. Yeah. So obviously it could have been dealt with in a much better manner, but at the end of the day, the end outcome is the same. Our daughter was going to die. And how long until that could be confirmed? And how do
0: you confirm that?
3: Yeah. So we saw the neurologist who is amazing and we still speak to she's wonderful I don't know how she does her job yeah we spoke to her the next day and she very sadly did the same checks as he did and said I do think it is spinal muscular atrophy it
1: was confirmed with the blood test that was taken that day but it was confirmation that they were pretty certain and what were the next questions after they had that confirmation so at that appointment the next day so with the neurologist
3: it started off with her in the room and then slowly we realised that the room was starting to fill with geneticists and counsellors and we knew very quickly that there was no mistake. Mm. And so the questions just how, when, what is SMA? Like Yeah. what's going to take our baby? How did this happen? How did we not know about this? Why us? is this going to happen to all of our other children? How do we protect her? Where do we go from here? Like, yeah, our head's just spun. And what were all these answers? So spinal muscular atrophy is like a motor neuron condition. So, you know, the ice bucket challenge that was really popular a number of years ago, this is the childhood version of it. So it meant that the motor neurons in her spinal cord weren't firing and telling that the rest of her body how to move. So she would slowly move, lose the ability to use her arms, her legs, and then she would lose the ability to breathe and to swallow. And she would pass away. Basically she would become frozen inside her own body. And um, we found out that it was actually something that we passed on to her um, that we carried in our DNA and together. There was a chance that she would be affected and she was that she would pass away on average by eight months old and just to go home and love her. Mm. We were told about a new experimental treatment that we could put her on, but it wasn't clear. You know, there was a lot of, would it just delay? Would it leave mm. her suffering for longer? Did it work? How much was it? If it wasn't going to be on the PBS, that there was, it was a lot of, yeah. And then we had to have genetic testing to confirm that we were carriers. And then they started speaking to us about having more children, which felt crucial for us to know, but also made us feel physically sick. But we were talking about other children Mm. while she was in our arms.
0: And how do you process that extra layer? And I am in no way insinuating fault, but I imagine as a parent you go there when it is
3: something that's passed on. Yeah. What does that feel like? Initially, it felt like I was being hollowed out from the inside, like everything inside me was being ripped out one by one and like I just wanted to I wanted to die instead of her. But um, I very quickly started learning about genetics and found out that it was less of a case of why us and more of a, well, this can happen to anyone. So mm. we found out a lot about genetics and we found out that actually everyone carries on average three to five genetic conditions in our DNA. And so this can actually happen to any of us. It all just depends on who mm. we get together with. So that made it feel a little bit less like we had caused it. And how was that feeling of knowing that it could have been
0: prevented? Because I feel like it's a catch-22 where if you had of known Earlier, you would maybe likely never have met Mackenzie, but also not knowing meant that then she was alive and likely to suffer and you would have a child that had a terminal
3: illness. Yeah, trying to figure out how the the brain, can comprehend the fact that I would never ever like Mackenzie is the biggest part of my soul I would never take away my time with her I feel like she is the she's changed my life she's the biggest mm-hmm. gift I have ever experienced but I would never purposely or knowingly mm-hmm. make another child go through what she did because we had a beautiful life with her But those last few days in the hospital before she died were horrific and I don't think anyone would knowingly ask someone that they love to go through that. So it's really hard to go, yes, we took steps after losing Mackenzie to make sure we didn't have any children born with the same condition, but we would also never take away our time. Yeah. It's it's really complex.
1: So from the moment you found out, to just before she passed away, what did you see in her? Like I know that you were a first-time parent, so you were just going off, you know, your first child, but what were the standout differences that you could see in her development?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, we could see it at the time. We can really see it now. We look back on the videos Mm. and we can really see it now that we've had other children and been around other children and we're very thankful that we actually couldn't see it as clearly when it was mm. happening as we can now, basically she couldn't move. So she couldn't sit up. She couldn't push herself up. So she was always laying on either her back or on her side. She could move her hands up to her mouth. She couldn't move her legs. So she couldn't reach for the toys that she wanted to play with, which is really heartbreaking when I think about it. She was really good feeder, breast feeder, which I really love. These are really special times, but basically she just couldn't move. And how many months did
0: you have with Mackenzie in your life? Seven months and 11 days. And because of these, you know, her not being able to move, I imagine she was immunocompromised. Were you in and out of hospital a lot or were you able to be at home enjoying her for the time you could or how did those months look?
3: I don't think we were really as aware of her being immunocompromised. I think because COVID has obviously taught us all a lot about that. Mm. But I knew that if she was to develop a cold, she would struggle to mm. clear it. But we actually didn't really change our our life. We didn't keep her at home. Basically, we took the whole time off of work, which was complicated, but we both wanted to be with her, knowing that we wouldn't have her for very long. Hmm. We had a book. I still haven't been able to open it, but we wanted her to do a new thing every single day. So whether it was go to a new cafe, play on a new piece of it, oh, that's playground, we would spend a couple of weeks at home just enjoying being Emily. And then we would fly somewhere else in Australia just to show her what life was. We did try to go overseas with her, but we couldn't get the insurance overseas. So we flew out of Broome, We um, went on hovercrafts and helicopters with her. We put her feet in the sand. We took her to the snow. She went platypus spotting in Tasmania. She just, yeah, she walked in dinosaur footprints. We just took her to try to give her as much life as possible. We never cried in front of her. We would only do that when she was asleep. And we just knew that she only knew us and knew our vibe she didn't know what was going on which was you know in a lot of ways like so we just had to move you know the best life possible and um in the end it was a cold the common cold just after her seventh month we used to celebrate her month days because we knew she wouldn't get to one mm. so we'd do a cake and like put frosting the end of her tongue and everything for a month days and she ended up getting cold and yeah she couldn't she couldn't get through that
0: so looking back now, it sounds like those seven months were probably completely heartbreaking, but it sounds like you guys had so much fun at the same time. How, how does that time feel to you when you look back on it?
3: That time's magic. It's quite yeah. strange because I think a lot of people would assume that I would just cry all the time whenever I talk about Mackenzie and sometimes I do but I've spoken about her story quite a lot. So sometimes I can sort of disassociate a little bit to be able Mm. to get through it. But the time that we had Mackenzie, like best, but most complicated seven months of my life, she's just magic. Like she was so expressive with her eyes. She, I could tell she was probably going to be a little bit bossy and a little bit sassy like me. Um, But she was just, yeah, incredible.
0: And talk us through those last few days of Mackenzie's life. I mean, you said she got the common cold. Did you did you know that this could be
3: at, at the end or? At the time, no. So we were told that she could potentially just sort of go in and out of hospital for months on end trying to fight things. We were told that we could just wake up one morning and she would be gone, which... Looking in her bassinet every morning next to me was, oh. yeah. Um, but in the end, yeah, so she had a bad night. She just sort of was fussing and waking up quite a lot. And uh, we were actually moving house the morning that we noticed that something was wrong. We were moving closer to the hospital, and my mum was up and she was packing away stuff in the kitchen. And Johnny was having a nap because, yeah, we'd had a bad night. And and, um, I was holding her in my arms and I looked down and I noticed that she was turning blue. So I cried out for my mum just, I didn't know if I was seeing things. And my mum grabbed her off of me while I called the ambulance and my mum started trying to do CPR on her. And um, I don't even remember calling the ambulance, but we... We got her back breathing again and I yelled out for Johnny and we just waited for the ambulance to come and I rode in the back of the ambulance. I just remember them strapping me into the bed and I just was singing her favourite songs in her ear to try to keep her calm as we went, lights and sirens. We got to emergency and it was completely filled with people. They managed to stabilise her and we got up to ICU And for the next five days, she sort of went in and out of us thinking that maybe she might come home for a little bit longer. So what had happened is she couldn't move the mucus because she couldn't cough. She wasn't strong enough. So Mm. her lung had collapsed and we were trying to fix the lung. But at the same time, she developed an internal blade in her stomach. And it was just this repetition of suctioning, which is the most awful thing to watch, I just mm. remember Johnny and my mom leaving the room because it was just too much. I was like, I just can't leave her. And a couple of times, she crashed, and we thought we were going to lose her. I don't know it's all really intense, but I just remember like changing her nappies, and they were just filled with blood, and she was just covered with um cables and we kept checking her hemoglobin to try to make sure that her blood was starting to clot and it wasn't just kept doing more and more blood transfusions. And, and we got pulled into that little tiny room and we were told that we can put her on life support, but yeah, we had done a no resuscitation plan because we didn't want to prolong her life just for us. And so we got moved into a big room and we got to sleep with her one last time. It, In the morning, we had to take her oxygen mask off and she took two tiny little breaths and she was gone. (laughs) He uh, bathed her and changed her and then I carried her down to the morgue and then I had to leave her there. (laughs) And we left the hospital back into the sunlight and everyone's life was normal and ours was gone.
0: I imagine that point of, you know, knowing your child has a terminal illness and kind of knowing when to stop, you know, I mean, it's all so challenging. But as you said, how far do you go and how do you decipher what's for them and what's for you and where, where you start and she begins, I guess?
3: That's the hard part is like, what is quality of life? Like mm. if I could touch her right now and smell her and know what her face would look like, you know, it would give just about anything. The that I would give is her pain. Yeah. Like, it's just so unfair to ask her to go through more. Like, I watched her after probably about 12 hours in the hospital, maybe 24, she closed her eyes for the last time, and we never saw her eyes again. But I was almost thankful that she was sort of asleep and medicated because the look that she gave me but why won't she help me
1: and I couldn't so like I wasn't going to make her go through anymore I had to let her go may I ask in terms of the grieving side of things was there anything put in place you know you did mention counsellors what was there to support you during this time
3: unfortunately nothing I wish I could say that it was different. I was actually really surprised. Like, we're so thankful to so many people and so many elements, but that doesn't mean that everything was done perfectly. You know, there were things that we had to follow up on, which was really hard after she passed away, things that we wanted to change for other people. Like, for instance, when we took her down to the morgue after we left, we we didn't know where we were. No one was there to guide us out of the hospital. And so there was lots of um, things that could have been better in terms of our support. Mm. We had a social worker, but no one had any names of psychologists that would be specialised in this area. Yeah. We had mm. taken ourselves to a psychologist and a GP and we got put on medication after she was diagnosed. So we were put on an anti-anxiety, anti-depressive medication, which we're still on now and so that's probably one of the best things that we did was prepare ourselves with medication for what was going to happen we found some psychologists that have probably changed about four or five times over the years and gone in and out depending on what sort of stage of grief I'm at and what they can specialize in we actually say that like grief was was very Hard. A lot of our people in our life didn't know how to handle it. So we lost really good friends who walked away, which was grief on top of grief. I would have thought that there was a process that was like, all right, speak to a psychiatrist about potential medication. This is a list of psychologists that specialists in Mm. grief. This is. You know, it's a process. Mm.
0: Because as heartbreaking it is and maybe not common, you're far from the first parents to have Mm. to go through this. So to think that literally your worst nightmare as a parent happens, like for there not to be something in place and to be left on your own is pretty diabolical.
3: We were very lucky in that we've we've got really amazing families. I don't live in Sydney, but mm. both of our families were incredibly beautiful and supportive. We had some friends step up and they were wonderful. I'm a lot better when I'm doing something. I need to have purpose and yeah. direct my anger and my love and my sadness. So... You know, I was able to find psychologists. I was able to look up medications that would be good for us. Like, but I think about the people that aren't in that position, or whose language—the first language—isn't English. You know, yeah. different situations, different work leave options, and it just really devastates me. Um, I think there's a lot more that we can have in place for those that are grieving because child loss. While it doesn't happen all the time, it happens pretty much every day in Australia there would be a child who's passing away and then you've also got the people who have got children who aren't terminal but they have significant and severe conditions that their parents still need. They're still grieving in a way they're still need absolutely. Support. So I think that we can be a lot better than we were and I think we are taking steps but there's more to go.
0: And how did you find those, you know, those friends that did stay around and they helped? what was helpful for you mm. during this time? Because I know it's it's shattering when the people turn away, but I think a lot of people are really confronted by death and grief and, and not excusing them. But maybe if they had have heard something before, they would have maybe known how to
3: help. Mm. It's literally just showing up. Because a lot of people sort of say to themselves, oh, I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I stepped back or I thought that you would be inundated with people. So I just didn't think that. And a lot of that times what they're saying is true and it might be true for them, but it's also an excuse for them to make themselves feel a little bit better. Mm. You don't have to be in someone's face to let them know that you're there or that someone's thinking of you. So it would take the form of arranging a cleaner, arranging food drop-offs. You could literally drop it on the door and you didn't have to... I, I didn't necessarily want to speak to anyone, but you could knock on, leave one on the door and send a text message and say there's food. It could be some people like bought stars and put them in Kenzie's name, or they would organize like a donation in her name and to send me the receipt. I had one of my bestest friends, she went, I don't always know what to say, so I'm just going to send you a love heart in a text message when I'm thinking of you because Mm. I don't know what to say, but you know that I am here. Like there's so many different ways that you can be there and it's just showing up. Mm. And also it's the same with a lot of grief and a lot of bad, like hard situations, not just show up for the first week, but you know, remember the anniversaries, remember those hard moments, Mother's Day, her what would have been her first birthday. People seem to think that after the funeral your grief's gone, or even after you have more children, or if you like Mm. that alone is a complete sorry to say it, but mind fuck, like having more children and feeling the grief and feeling torn between all your different children and feeling guilty. Like I just think that there are so many ways that people can show up and it amazes me that I'm like, that's why I'm so thankful that you guys are holding this space for me because death is literally the only thing that happens to all of us. Yet we're not taught it Mm. in school. We shy away from it. We pretend that it doesn't happen and child loss is another level. The way that people turn their backs on you, it's quite unbelievable.
0: And I think people have a fear of, I don't know, wrecking your day or reminding you but correct me if I'm wrong I'm sure there hasn't been a minute that has gone by since she died that she hasn't been in your thoughts I don't think you're ever like oh I wasn't
3: Mm -hmm. you know thinking of her
0: her and now you've reminded me how dare you
3: it's like any other parent I mean you you guys have three kids each you don't forget that you've got one you don't you don't go oh that's right I've got those two forgot about that third one like I yeah. think about Kenzie, she is part of me. She's part of our world yeah. and no one reminds me, I love speaking about Mackenzie. I love it. Like what parent doesn't like raving about their child and how awesome they are? Yeah. Like, of course they oh. do. The best thing, like one of my friends has me in her phone because she met me this way. I mean, her phone is Mackenzie's mom. Like how amazing is Aww, that? I bloody that love beautiful? it. Like, so... I like speaking her name. That's the best thing that someone can do is like normally when I'm contacted on my Instagram and told about some someone saying that their child passed away, the first thing I ask is what's their name and can I see a photo of them? Because they wanna talk. Yeah. yeah. So it's not reminding at all. The worst thing that you can do is either pretend it doesn't it hasn't happened or try to explain it away with things that make you feel like Mm. a person feel better, but like, oh, at least they're in a better place or they only, God only gives these hard moments to the people who can handle them. Like it's just such a flippant comment.
0: I think if any statement starts with at least, especially around Mm -hmm. loss and that kind of thing, you should double take and go, do I need to continue this? sentence. And I
1: think these conversations, especially your story and your journey, are so important for other people to hear. And I think it's for every single person to hear because as you said before, death is as common as birth because that's how the world goes around. And we are so happy and, you know, okay with birth obviously because you're coming into the world, but everyone is so frightened and unsure when when death does occur and the one thing that is a big part of when you lose someone, you don't just lose someone, you kind of lose a lot of people, don't you? Because they just don't know how to handle handle the situation. They're frightened, but it only leaves you being more frightened and more alone. And I think with a child, you lose the, the, the future, all those,
0: you know, as a mum, I'm not sure if your mind went through this, but as soon as you pee on that stick and find out you're pregnant, you're mind is so far ahead of you. And I'm sure as soon as you got that diagnosis, I imagine those kind of future opportunities were ripped away from you.
3: Yeah, everything, everything. It was the grief of our life. We knew, knowing that we would never be the same, that Johnny would never be Mm. able to walk her down the aisle. I love birth. And I always imagined like straight away, I imagined being at the birth of my grandchildren.
2: Mm. And
3: I know that that's not impossible in the future with my sons, but it's less likely. I mean, not many girls like to have their mother-in-law in the birth and mm. suite. So that was ripped away from me. But then there was also what she should have had, what she deserved. It's mm. completely cruel, but I also try to let people know that we're not just a sad story. I've actually, it's taken a long time. Like we've now just got to six years without her, Mm. but I can now see all of the gifts that she's given me. I can see all of the positives, the way that, like I describe it as though my life used to be black and white and now it's in color and that she's changed my perspective I don't care about those little things that mean nothing I care about kindness and whose day you've made better like I care about empathy and she's completely changed my life into thinking like I know it sounds awful but I don't I'm not scared of death anymore I find it really hard, and it feels so mean of me to do. But when I see all of these people who are older celebrated on the news for their life, um, and people were mourning and sad, it's like, wait a minute, you got to ninety? What are you talking about? Yeah. You had a good life. That's not sad. That's luck. Like that's life. That's beautiful. It just sort of what I care about is mm. child loss. That's where it feels you're ripped off, cruel and unfair. Like the my whole perspective on life has changed and it's a gift and it's a gift that I wish that everyone could learn about without having to go through the pain that I've gone through.
0: And I imagine over this whole period, grief has, you know, it's not linear, it's gone up and down. What were those, I guess, maybe the first year like? When do you try and move back into
3: life whatever that looks like what like how do you go on i was terrified i was scared every single thing that i did felt like i was cheating on kenzie so we walked from the hospital and our i couldn't we couldn't go home so the last time the old place that we had been in that the ambulance had gone from was the last time I saw our house that she grew up in because we were in the middle of moving. So our families moved us to our new home that we had moved to to be closer to the hospital. And I couldn't go into that house knowing that I didn't know what to do with her stuff. So our family hired us an apartment overlooking Bondi and I spent the days there. I was still breastfeeding her, so I was still producing milk and... I was having to pump and um, oh my gosh, release it into the ocean because the idea of it going down the drain when it was supposed to be for her. Um, yeah. So we just overlooked the ocean for a couple of days and I just didn't speak. I went to bed and I just didn't speak. And then every step was like I was scared to catch the bus because it would mean being new people. I was scared to go to the shops. I remember having to go to the shops to try to find the dress that I would wear to her farewell like everything is, it's hard. Everything's bright. Everything's Mm. loud and you just do it slowly. I remember when I went back to work, I went for four hours and I just sat at my desk crying and there was all these new recruits that had come from the college and they were like, who is this random chick just crying in the middle of the office? And I got sent home and every day I just wanted to, I just had to do one extra minute than I did the day before. How long after did you return to work?
0: Six weeks. And do you feel like part of that was because you know you said that you like to do? Do you think was that because you
3: had to go had back to. at six we weeks had no or left. yeah? We had exhausted all of our leave because we had to use all of our sick leave to be able to be with her. And so wow. we were yeah we were very lucky that we uh, had a GoFundMe set up for us, which meant that we could travel with her. Um, But without that, we wouldn't have been able to survive.
0: And then how long after did you start to think about
3: children and how did you grapple with that? It was really hard. So we actually started the IVF process when Mackenzie was still alive. There was a little piece of delusional hope that maybe she might get to meet her sibling. We didn't really know... We were like, well, we've got no fertility issues. So we're only going through IVF to be able to screen out the genes. So this should be really simple. And we were completely delusional to what the process was going to be like. So it took two months for them to develop the specific genetic test to be able to screen out the SMA gene. Wow. And so so it didn't exist before that? It does exist. They've got the profile, but they've got to find it specifically on your your DNA, so they used wow. my blood, my husband's blood, and Mackenzie's blood to be able to develop the test specific to us. So otherwise, I believe that it find takes them longer to try to have to find the gene. Oh wow! So they took two months, and we actually got called four weeks after she died to say that the test was ready, which was really hard. But I was, I think, thirty five at that time, and some people need a lot of time after a miscarriage or a termination for medical reasons or the death of a child because they they obviously need time some people need to find a way to get a child in their arms straight away because for us we felt like okay well we're parents now we now know what it's like to have like what did we do with our time like we went from having our time filled with this beautiful baby to looking at each other going, what do we do with our life? It's got no mm. purpose. So we decided to start trying straight away. And I just just remember being so innocent to the process. So we did a round straight away, which came with its own emotions of, like I said, guilt of feeling like, mm. People would use, horrible people online would use terms like replacement baby and it just Mm. hurt. But we started IVF straight away and I remember we found out on Christmas Eve that the first round had failed and we had no embryos. Mm. So we went into Christmas Day without Mackenzie and IVF having completely failed. And I remember thinking that we were going to get heaps of embryos. We talked about the fact that we were going to donate them to people who couldn't have children. Yeah. So this is probably going to sound really statistical with numbers, but this if I went into all of them, we would be here forever. It took nine rounds of IVF. That's nine eggs. Collections, stimulations. Oh my goodness. We had multiple transfers. We paused after five rounds of IVF and tried naturally because it just wasn't working for us. And the heartbreak of getting those phone calls was tearing us apart. So we tried naturally and we got pregnant on the first month because we don't have fertility issues. But it meant that we had to wait until 12 weeks and five days to have a CVS. And then we waited another two weeks for the results. And I can tell you waiting for genetic results is horrific. I can't even put it into words. And I'd get called with all these results while I was at work and I'd go into meeting rooms as I got my life just ripped away. And um, yeah, we were pregnant and it was a little girl that we called Bella and she had SMA as well. So we had to terminate her at 16 weeks.
1: Oh my gosh.
3: So we went back to BF. It turned out that somehow I'd also developed stage four endometriosis. So I've also had three laparoscopies along the way. I then got deep vein thrombosis. So I had to get put on blood thinners for the rest of my IVF and all pregnancies. We finally got pregnant after I think four embryo transfers. We finally got pregnant, but we still did the harmony test and CVS just because we wanted to be sure. And we found out that Genetic testing is 5% inaccurate, and we had got pregnant with a little boy that we called Leo who right. had a severe chromosome condition. So at 16 weeks, we had to terminate him as well. So that's why I say it's a bit hard to say how many babies I have. We also had seven miscarriages, early miscarriages throughout the process as well. And on our ninth round of IVF, we got pregnant with our little Isaac. We then, at 10 months old I had to force myself to wean him because I was getting older and we wanted to have one more baby and we needed to do IVF again and my prolactin levels were too high while I was feeding Mm. and that felt horrible because I felt like well I didn't get to finish breastfeeding Mackenzie and now I don't get to finish breastfeeding Zach. but we started IVF and before we started IVF, we were like, okay, maybe we should try. Maybe we should try naturally because we can't afford this anymore. Like we had done $120,000 worth of IVF up until that point.
1: But then at the same time, you've got your mentally and physically going through something to just on a whim, really just to hope that you're not going to get that result. Exactly. Again. 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 And then also have to terminate. So every single time we did IVF, it was so hard, like
3: absolutely soul-destroying. So sometimes we would go, okay, naturally it's got to be easier. And then we'd do natural and then we would that was soul-destroying and we were like, which one's easier? Because there's no easy. Like they were both awful. So before we started trying for IVF, I remember Johnny and I looked at each other and we were like, we can't afford this, what do we do? And we had sex once. And then we freaked out because we were like, we can't do this. So we started IVF. We tested to, be, to see if we were pregnant, weren't pregnant. And then a week into IVF, found out we actually were pregnant. Stopped all the medication and then had to wait until almost 13 weeks to test that baby. And that's our little Joshua. So he oh. was a miracle. But like, I literally, I literally have to fly through that portion of my life because it seriously traumatized us and has had a big impact on my husband
1: and I. How did you guys support each other? That is just monumental. Like the, all of that is just as you said, you don't want to riddle like <laughs> just go through it like a list of statistics, but that how else do you? How did you support each other? And was there anyone going, We can't do this anymore? Um Johnny almost got
3: that way towards the end. He's now got that way. Like if I don't know if I would want another one I've just turned forty. I'm waiting for that feeling of I'm done and I really want it to come.
0: Mm.
3: I feel like I'm done. But then I think about like, I'm so lucky to have the boys, but then there's obviously the element of the things that I thought that I was going to get to do with Kenzie. And so there's part of me that would have loved to have had another girl but not instead of any of my boys, obviously, additionally. Yeah. So it's like, but Johnny's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That's just that, that yeah. hurt me too badly. Um, so he finished. Um, I think our last round of IVF that we did was going to be our last because we were so thankful for the technology. We are so thankful for what it gave us, but we did lose a bit of confidence in it, obviously, when we had to say goodbye to Leo. And we lost the money. Like we had no more money. But we never gave up because yeah. we had said to each other, we, we know what it's like to be parents. We want to see Mackenzie's siblings. Like we know that there are options like donor eggs. and But we genetically wanted to see her siblings because we hoped that maybe we could get glimpses of her growing up. And I don't think we ever stopped and we kept going because the the idea of not being parents was worse it would have completely yeah. annihilated me. And have you
0: seen those glimpses? Yes.
3: Mm. And how's that? Is that bittersweet? No, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is it is bittersweet. It's also bittersweet. Like one of my friends, her daughter was born like three or four weeks after Kenzie. Mm. And I see her mm. and I see where Kenzie would be up to. And that's, oh. both, that's bittersweet because... Mm. I can't believe how big she would be. I can't believe I've seen in like the lost community some parents have done. There's like this new AI that you can see what your child is going to look like, and um, part of me would love to do it, but Johnny and I, have, we we can't right now. Yeah, but no, the idea of being parents, we just had to keep going. But it did have mm. an impact on us. We're both we both going in and out of therapy, so um. Johnny already had PTSD because he got his face smashed in with a rock during a riot over in the Solomon Islands. So he got PTSD on top of PTSD. I already had an anxiety disorder. So we see people have done a lot of trauma. I still need to do a lot around to the time in the hospital because I get a lot of flashbacks when I hear ambulance noises. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work. On and off with kinesiologists. I've sort of gone from being completely atheist and hating any type of God that would do this to my family to finding a bit more of a belief in souls and feeling like Mm. maybe Kenzie was supposed to be mine and maybe I was supposed to have her. Like, I feel it's very woo woo, but it gets me to where I need to be now in that I feel like Mm. we've had past lives together. I feel like we were supposed to do this for Mackenzie's mission to be able to help other children. But yeah, Jenny and I, if, if we feel like if we didn't have the conversations and be on the same pages about like, you know, what if one of us wanted to, to do the treatment, the experimental treatment? What if one of us had wanted mm. to put her on life support? What if one of us like, it would have destroyed our relationship. Yeah. Totally. And talk a
0: bit about, Mackenzie's mission and you've had some pretty exciting updates recently in terms of testing so
3: can you tell us a bit about that yeah so when we found out that we had passed this genetic condition onto her we got really angry because we as I said research it all makes me feel calmer it calms my anxiety when I research and so We had done every test under the sun. I had been on pregnancy multivitamins. We had had pap smears, like, I (laughs) said, we, (laughs) me. Pap smears. I'd sent my poor husband to go and get his sperm checked before we had even started trying. Like, we had done everything. And we found out that it was just a simple cheek swab to find out what genetic conditions you hold. And so, like I said, all of us carry three to five genetic conditions in our DNA. Who we get together with is what determines whether oh, our wow. child has it. So we both carry SMA, which means that there's a one in four chance that one of our children will be born with the genetic condition. So basically it comes down to one in 50 couples is at risk of having a child with a severe or life-limiting genetic condition. Like it's crazy statistics. Wow. It's not rare. Individually, the conditions are rare because there are a thousand out there, but when you put them all together, yeah, severe life-limiting, we're not talking about conditions that are really easy to live with like yeah um, we're talking about those that are really life impacting or life limiting so since we found out that it's just a simple cheek swab we started to ask well why isn't everyone offered this as part of pre like pregnancy planning like it seemed Mm. insane we found out that only those that have a family history are offered the testing but four out of five people like children born with a genetic condition have no family history so we're like well, that doesn't make sense. So you like, ca- like that's one in five that you're, you're potentially yeah. capturing, and that's only if you know you've got a family history. What if it's your mm, yeah. What if it's your grandma's cousin or something? Like you don't, you wouldn't know that.
0: Or if there's been a death in a lot of families, that's not then talked about yeah, no. through other generations. No, hundred so, percent. You so. know,
3: yeah it was not capturing anywhere near what it needed to be. So we started campaigning the government a month after Mackenzie was diagnosed to say this should be for everyone. So we wrote a letter and sent it to all 255 members of parliament. And the letter was just saying, we need to, we need to change this. And Over the next couple of years, we were given a research project for $20 million called Mackenzie's Mission to look at how we can bring it to Australians for uh, for free because it's currently offered to anyone who wants it in a private capacity, but it can cost like when we did it, it cost like two and a half grand. So most people can't afford that. So uh, Mackenzie's Mission, it went for about two or three years and we tested almost 10,000 couples. We did research papers. We answered all the questions that could possibly be asked of us. We looked into the ethics because obviously some people will say horrible words Mm. like eugenics, like you're trying to filter out any genetic conditions, but we were really specific in the ones that we chose to test for. They were only severe and life-limiting ones or ones that if you knew about really early on after birth, you could get treatments, which is amazing. Mm. So we're literally changing lives wow. and as of the 1st of November the top three genetic conditions are now covered under Medicare for free so oh. everyone who, everyone in Australia can have this test for the top three conditions which is amazing so that's cystic fibrosis, fragile X and spinal muscular atrophy but we're not done, the aim is to get a thousand genetic conditions offered to everyone yeah. for free, you can get a blood tests from a, your GP. Um, one of the easiest ways is you actually can go online to some of the genetic screening companies. I know you've spoken to ones before. I'm the ambassador for one called Lumi Health just because they reach in the, uh, in partnership with Murdoch Children's Research Institute and Victoria Clinical Genetic Service and MyDNA who are part of the Kensies mission. And you can literally mm-hmm. just go online and you can order the swab for free. It turns up to your house anywhere in Australia so even if you're in remote Australia, you just do the cheek swab, send it back. If you're at high risk, you get a phone call from a genetic counsellor and they talk you through the steps. And yeah, so it's a really big, big achievement, but we're not done. Still more to go. Wow. That's wow. In, that's incredible. Good on you. Now it's just about making people aware of it. So the guidelines have changed. We got those changed to say instead of it being family history, it should be offered to everyone. So that's been changed with the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Royal College of General Practitioners. So Mm -hmm. it is best practice now. It's in the guidelines. So all medical professionals should be offering it and know about it. And now it's just trying to change the conversation around genetics, around child loss, also around terminations for medical reasons.
2: Mm. There's
3: just so many avenues that I think we just need to talk about a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think it is so poorly understood. I mean, I've heard lots of people say, oh, doctor didn't offer it to yep. us because we're young as well. And um you know, the understanding how it was different from Mm. like the chromosome testing as well.
3: Well, that's it. Is that so the harmony test or the NIPT or the different versions of what it's called, people seem to think that that's genetic testing and to a degree it is, but that's looking at the baby's chromosomes. And so you have to do that test. Well, not have to, but if you choose to do that test, you do it for every pregnancy. Whereas genetic carrier screening, you only have to do once per couple. So if you have, if you break up with your partner and then get together and have a child with someone else, you would do it again. But it's your risk as a couple and you only need to do mm-hmm. it once. And we just like to let people know that it's a choice. Everything in this is a choice. If you don't agree with genetic carrier screening, if you don't agree with terminations for medical reasons, whatever it's a choice and we should all be offered it. And the reason why I bring that up is I'm just dealing with some really horrible people online at the moment who are advocating for all of this to be illegal. And I just, yeah, it's a choice. It's knowledge.
1: You should be so proud of what you're doing and what you are giving others I also wanted to say listening to you share what you're doing with Mackenzie's Mission is like you can hear your love and your passion, which obviously stems from her. So in this, this strange way, you're channeling her through all of this and you can hear it in your voice. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm so passionate. Like everything to do with women, women's fertility, women's like
3: knowledge, I just... Yeah, and I always say, like, I just feel like it's a way that I get to be her parent. Like, it's so lovely having my beautiful sons. I love them. Oh, God, they're so squishy. I just, like, <laughs> I just feel like I could explode with love for them. But it's nice to carve out this time that I get to be her mm. parent, like I get to be her mom. And, yeah, it's just one of the many gifts that I feel like she's given me.
0: How do you talk about Mackenzie in the home? Like, what do the... I mean, your second son would be too young to (laughs) say much about it. But yeah, how does she, I guess, live on in your home?
3: Yeah, so she's everywhere. But like we've just done it in a normal family way. Like down the hallway, there's all the family photos and there's photos of her amongst them. Her ashes are in a little bird, a little urn in the living room we've got a picture of her whenever we get family photos taken we always make sure that one of them is us holding the photo of her that's in our living room so mm. it's the closest way that we can get to having a family photo with her mm. Saying twinkle twinkle little star every night because we say that she's in the stars we just sort of try to have her around just as a normal sister like we it's a balance because you don't want them to feel like they're overshadowed. You know, you don't want to have like, you know, we don't have a shrine or anything. We just have little yeah. bits of her around everywhere. Mm. And we always make sure that every single time, and it is hard because it comes out of nowhere. But when people say, oh, is this your first? Or how many kids do you have? Mm. Even though we know it's going to make, it's going to turn whatever conversation we're having, probably uncomfortable. Yeah. We always say we've got three we've got three we say we've got Mackenzie who isn't here with us anymore and we've got our two little boys and they hear us say that so hopefully my ideal is that when they start drawing family pictures at daycare or at school there's Mackenzie there
0: oh that's just beautiful well thank you so much congratulations I guess that's a weird thing to say on what you're doing it is so inspirational you are an incredible mother to all three of them and just woman in general so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us we're honestly honoured to share your story and we can't wait to see where all of this goes from here because I get the feeling that you'd be hard to stop so I think sky's the limit with probably where
3: you'll go with this. Yeah, Johnny's nickname for me is The Pest, so...
1: Um, <laughs> he could have come up with a better one I think you're channeling your <laughs>
0: pestiness in a great way though yes. yeah,
3: everyone compliments it and he's like try living with it so um. yeah. <laughs> positive pest thank you so so much for having me and just for not shying away because like I know these conversations are hard but there's actually a lot of beauty to be found amongst them if people just listen
1: absolutely, absolutely. couldn't agree more thank, thank you, you so much. much thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast
0: to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.